Hi everyone and welcome uh, to tonight. My name's Scott, I'm one of the pastors at the Hunter Bible Church and I'm here with Greg, our senior pastor. Hey mate, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm doing all right. That's good. Now, uh, we have to, from the get-go, you have a prop with us tonight <laughs> that people have not seen before. It's no, it's a legit, a legit thing. You have reading glasses now. I know. Oh, this, is, this is kind of sad, but I, on the way out the door, I thought, I'm not going to be able to read my Bible Unless so this is the big unveiling. This is the yeah. This, these have not been seen in public uh, ever because I because I do everything from an iPad. I can make the text really huge. Okay, but not but when you've got to read from the Bible. I can't I can't expand the screen on this, and so this is the unveiling. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a gift to every preacher. You know, if you want to look thoughtful, makes you look smart. Yeah, that's kinda, right. If you want to if you want to look sort of stern. Yeah. There's um, also the age thing, though, as well, right? Like, <laughs> the age and the baldness. But now, yeah, anyway, we're, we're here tonight. Um, we've just celebrated Easter, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, mm. where we've uh, looked at the resurrection of Jesus. Yep. And we thought, how good would it be this week to dig deeper into the resurrection? Uh, and so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to throw around, read our, read our Bible, get into it, get into God's Word and think about how the resurrection what it says about God and how it applies to our life. Yeah. So I'm going to pray yep. and then we're just going to fire questions at you, Greg. Great. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that um, we can spend time digging into your word and we pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would be at work as we open up your word to look at Jesus' resurrection and what it means, uh, the significance of it and what it means for our lives. Um, and we pray you use tonight to help us uh, lift our eyes out of the, the things that are going on in this world and lift our eyes to the eternal spiritual realities as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Greg, <clears throat> did the resurrection happen? Uh, and why, why does it matter if it, if it did happen or didn't happen? Yeah, yeah. I think even Christians sometimes think that maybe it doesn't matter if it didn't happen because the the cross is what what we talk about is the thing that matters you know Jesus died for our sins and um I think for often Christians will think well the, I guess the resurrection is just is the happy ending um yeah and maybe it doesn't really matter because Jesus did everything on the cross um there's this tantalizing bit that one says uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 um where he says uh, starting in verse 17 uh and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. Mm. If, Jesus, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then Christianity is a complete waste of time. We're not forgiven. We're still in our sins. And we are to be pitied more than all other people. Um, so it really does it really does matter. It matters that he rose from the dead and it matters that it was physical as well. Yeah, I, so um, I grew up Roman Catholic and um, I know there's different opinions even within the Roman Catholic Church, but I know a family member has a priest who says, oh, it doesn't matter if it was actually physical, um, it was just metaphorical. Um, mm. But you're saying no, or God's word saying, yeah, yeah. no, it does matter that it was physical. Why is that? Um, I think I reckon there's two big reasons why it really matters that it's physical. One, it matters because the Bible says it was physical. Yep. So, you know, Jesus tells Thomas to put his hands in his side. Uh, Jesus eats fish with the disciples. Um, if it wasn't physical, then the Bible can't be trusted. 
And so at that level, um, if it wasn't physical, then all of Christianity is written off because the Bible says it was. Um, another reason, though, is it has to be physical. It really matters that it was physical because death is physical. Um, people who, who want to say, well, maybe Jesus' death, maybe, maybe his resurrection, he only rose in our hearts, it gets them out of a, a bind in terms of the resurrection is hard to believe because it's an extraordinary thing. But it doesn't actually deal with our big problem. Our big problem from Genesis 3 onward is death. Mm. Um, and sure, it might be a comfort to think that Jesus rose in my heart, but it's not a comfort on your deathbed. If you're about to die, um, the idea that Jesus rose in my heart, there's, there's not many answers there. Yeah, there's um, not a real hope. Yeah. yeah, but if Jesus actually did physically rise, then this experience that I'm about to go through of death I know someone has conquered it. And so it matters deeply that it was physical. It's just an empty hope. It's a platitude yeah. if it was only Jesus rising in our hearts or something like that. Yeah. Now, I should say we want lots of you to be bringing questions. We're going to fire them at Greg, so we'll stop at points to answer some of your questions. Yeah. Um, but the next kind of, I reckon, logical question then is, what evidence do we have of Jesus' resurrection? Yeah. Um, sometimes Christians will talk about um, external evidence in the Bible, uh, from the Bible, um, you know, historians and so forth. And a, a Jewish historian, Josephus, um, does talk about Jesus rising from the dead. We have better evidence than that, though. We mm. actually have eyewitness evidence. Mm. Um, the Bible itself is uh, eyewitness evidence. Um, Paul really healthily talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, in uh, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, what we have there is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead from people who were eyewitnesses and contemporary to this being written. So that's the thing about Jesus rising. If he hadn't risen and the disciples went around saying he had, then it would have been very easy for someone to say, no, he hasn't. Here is the body here. Yeah. But Paul can really confidently say Jesus appeared to Peter and to the 12 and to 500 other people. Well, 500, 500 is a few people yeah. to appear to, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's pretty compelling evidence that we actually have eyewitness evidence. And the thing about eyewitnesses is when you put them to the test, you can tell whether they're trustworthy. And the disciples, by and large, died for their faith. Yeah. They went yeah. to horrible deaths, maintaining disbelief that got them killed. Yeah. that Jesus really had risen from the dead. What that tells you is not only is it eyewitness evidence, it's tested, credible eyewitness evidence. Most of the people were still living when 1 Corinthians was written. That's really powerful. Mm. Um, that's better evidence than we have for most of the things that we believe. This, mm. is, this is the sort of thing that would pass the evidence in court. Yeah, It's beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's, it wasn't even just that the, I mean, the disciples you kind of, the Bible takes you through their journey in a sense. Mm. Um, and you see them become completely transformed throughout it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They start off really clueless. And in fact, even until they see Jesus risen from the dead, they're fairly clueless. It's only after that that they begin to go, well, he clearly has risen. What does this mean? 
and they start to put the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to know more um, about some of the evidence around the resurrection and these kind of things, one of the things we run at church uh, is uh, a thing that we're going to be running as well online, something we call the Life Series, where you can ask these kind of questions about the resurrection and Jesus' death. Um, and so we're going to be running that Thursday night next week. And so if you're here and you want to find out more about Christianity, we'd love for you to come along to that. Um, we've got a question from YouTube mm. that's come up. Um, do the discrepancies between after three days or on the third day matter? Um, it's a, a, what it really is all about is the way the Jews understood days beginning. Yep. And so uh, the, the day from memory begins at sunset. Yep. And so as Jesus dies, you have the Friday, which is the first day, the Saturday and the Sunday yep. on which he rises. And so it's, it's on the third day that he rises. So he dies Friday Arvo. Yeah and then rises on the Sunday. And so it's just going, this is the third day that, he, yeah, that yeah. he's risen. Yeah. Gotcha. And the key thing about that is um, the third day uh, is the day of salvation for Israel. Mm. So the prophets talked about uh, on, on the third day is when God would save his people mm. in Hosea from memory. Yeah, which is, so that's, that's an interesting point because I often think of the resurrection just as a New Testament thing. Mm. Is that the case? Is it a New Testament thing? Or is it something like we get often that the cross was prophesied, yeah. you know, you've got the suffering servant 800 years beforehand, clearly talking about Jesus' death. Does the Old Testament point to Jesus' resurrection as well? That's a great point because I think we often see the, feel like the resurrection has, um, it's this massive thing that occurs after Jesus' death, but... Apart from Jesus predicting it, it's kind of hard to predict. Where did this come from? Is it just a happy ending? But the resurrection is actually part of a much bigger theme that goes right the way back to the very beginning of the Bible and is right at the heart of the Bible, and that's the theme of life and death. Hmm. And so God um, is presented in the Bible as the God who has life in himself. Um, so his uh, name is I Am in Exodus. He is the one who just is. In Revelation, he's the God who was and is and is to come. In Daniel 7, he's the Ancient of Days. So God is this living God mm. who then gives life to humanity. And the big problem of the Bible, in the Bible, is death. Um, so God gives us life in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, and it's great. And, um, and then God rests. And then in Genesis 3, you have the, the great tension of the whole Bible, and that is that human beings die and that it's a physical death and that it's a death because of sin. Um, so that's the key thing about to understand about death. Death is not the natural end of life. Mm. Death is the unnatural end of life as mm. a consequence of sin. And so you've got this enormous tension just sitting there, three chapters into the Bible, that has to be resolved that's all about life and death. Yeah. And then as you move through the Old Testament, you actually start to get a promise of life. Um, so you start to get these tantalizing hints of, of life. Uh, one of them is a, a, a promise to David as the king, or at least it's a promise as he understands it in Psalm 16.
gone too far into Job. I flick straight past Psalm, beginning of Psalms and into Job. But isn't it, yeah, the way you're just talking there in terms of you've got a living God, a problem of sin that brings death. Mm. And it's almost like that how are you going to solve that problem? Death is unnatural. Yeah. How, how is eternal life going to be yeah. a thing with God again? And you get, um, in Psalm 16, you get this, this is David writing. And in verse 7, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's tantalizing, isn't it? Yeah. It seems to suggest that what David seems to be suggesting here is that God was not going to let him die. He wasn't going to be abandoned to the grave. Does that mean David's going to live forever? Did David expect to be raised? There's this kind of just sitting there. So the king, there's this promise that uh, the king would either rise or live forever. But then there's also a promise that everyone one day is going to rise. Mm. Um, and it's all wrapped up in this bigger idea in the Old Testament called the Day of the Lord. Yep. Um, as you move through the Old Testament, um, God begins to promise a day when everything is going to be wrapped up. So he promises that that's the day on which he will judge the world. That's where we get the idea of judgment day from. Yeah. Um, he promises that that's the day that he is going to save his people. Uh, that's when he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. That's when, you know, all of these cataclysmic events are going to happen on this great day of the Lord. It's sometimes called the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Um, and part of that day is resurrection to life and judgment. Um, so Daniel chapter 7 so the prophets, uh, Daniel, sorry, Daniel, uh, chapter twelve. Prophets are big on Day of the Lord, aren't they? Yeah, Isaiah, yep. Jeremiah, um, Daniel chapter twelve. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There'll be a time of distress such as hasn't happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. So it seems that on this day of the Lord, at this climax of time, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth are going to awake. And some people are going to rise to everlasting life. They're going to be blessed. They're going to be with God, all those things, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. And so it's not just the king yep. who won't be abandoned to the grave. It seems as if God's people won't be abandoned to the grave. So that's one of the key passages. Another one, though, that's just a, a wonderful passage is Isaiah 65. Now, is this the one where you've got animals in heaven? Yeah. <laughs> um, so will our dogs go to heaven? Yeah. Um, Isaiah 65, um, verse 17, God says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The further things will not be remembered, 
nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I'll, what I'll create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought of me youth and he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. So there's this promise of a new heavens and a new earth and wrapped up in that is this sense of life. And so... The resurrection doesn't just kind of land out of nowhere like a meteorite. It's part of this huge theme in the Old Testament of life and death. Yep. God gives life. We lose it because of sin. And then God begins to promise a time in the day of the Lord um, and for the king where life will be regained. It's, it's actually part of this huge promise. It's, it's the big story of the Bible, actually. Yeah. And that promise coming through a king, <laughs> but also... To everyone yeah 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 um well let's let's start digging then into um some of the actual significance of the resurrection yeah um what does the resurrection say about our world then the big thing that it says about our world is that it's ended um so our world's over yeah the judgment day has come um so not in the future yeah it's come already yeah okay Explain that. Uh, that's the amazing thing. Well, that's actually what Peter explains in Acts chapter 2. Um, probably the most detailed, the most kind of full um, explanation of what the resurrection means is Acts chapter 2. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty famous passage. So it starts off with all of the disciples getting together in Jerusalem. Yep. And <clears throat> the Spirit comes on them. And, and then they begin to speak in other languages um, and everyone hears them. And in verse 12 there, everyone's going, well, this is amazing. What's going on? All these people speaking in other languages. And some people even think that they're drunk in verse 13. But Peter has a different explanation for why these guys are speaking in tongues. And his explanation is the day of the Lord has come. The end of the world is here. So have a look in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. These men aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which shows that Peter wasn't an Australian. <laughs> that wouldn't actually carry weight in Australia. Um, he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on those days and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the disciples are speaking in other languages. Some people are amazed and confused. Some people say they're drunk. Peter says, no, 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 this is the day of the Lord in, um, in verse 20 there. Um, because what you're seeing is the Holy Spirit has been poured mm. out, which is what Joel promised would happen yep. on the day of the Lord. 
and you're seeing miracles, wonders and signs, he's saying the end of the world has come. And I think the obvious question then is, well, why has the end of the world come? Because, I mean, they'd be saying, well, yeah, what's going on? Why do you think Joel has been fulfilled? Yeah. And he then goes on in verse 22 and says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So he says the reason the day of the Lord is here is because Jesus has come and he's done miracles, wonders and signs, which is what God promised would happen in verse 19. When the day of the Lord comes, it's going to be miracles, wonders and signs. He says Jesus came, he did miracles, wonders and signs and then you killed him. But God raised him, which was the ultimate miracle, wonder and sign. That is Jesus being raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples. Peter looks at those things and says, my goodness, this is it. This is it. This is Joel. This is exactly what God promised. And so the great consequence of um, the resurrection is that the end of the world has come. So that means for us now, mm. we are living in the end of the world. Yeah. It's, it's this idea that um, the day of the Lord began the moment when Jesus died on the cross. Um, and we have been living in the day of the Lord for 2,000 years now. It's been a long day. Um, <laughs> it has been a long day. <laughs> but it's the end of the world. Yeah. And all we're waiting for is for God, Jesus, to come back and end the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord is actually here. The day of the Lord has come. So what does that mean for the time we live in then, if the day of the Lord has come? Yeah, it means that um, we don't have the rest of eternity. Um, one of the things that uh, 2 Peter talks about is people say, where is this coming? He promised, the world just keeps going on like it has, like it always has. It's going round in circles. And, and some views of time, uh, that time is cyclic, you know, especially in Eastern religions, time is cyclic. The world just going around in circles. Um, or the way that the Westerners view the world is the world's just getting better and better and better. We're, we're in this upward march of progress. What the Bible says is, no, the world has ended. Uh, one of the best ways I've ever heard it described is, you know when you're watching the news and they'll, um, they'll occasionally show buildings being blown up? Yeah. And the way it happens is they, they put the, all the explosives under the building and then the, the bomb goes off, all the explosives go off, and the building, you can tell that it's exploded. There's this kind of shudder, you know, just... But it just freezes there. Yeah. yeah. And it just hangs there in midair for yeah. like a, a couple of seconds. And then it all collapses. Um, Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus himself was the bomb that blew up the world. Jesus was the day of the Lord. He did miracles, wonders and signs. The spirit was poured out. Judgment began by Jesus being judged on the cross when he died. He was raised from the dead. The, the end of the world has come. The bomb's gone off. And we are just hanging here in midair, waiting for him to return and for all to finish. But the world as we know it has actually ended. 
that's the key thing that we need to know about time. So why hasn't Jesus come back then? Great question. <laughs> Great question. 2 Peter actually answers that. That's one of the things that he, um, that he actually talks about. I'll shoot to some questions from YouTube after this too. So he says um, in verse 3, we won't necessarily look at it, he says people are going to come scoffing and saying, where is this coming he promised? Um, you know, everything's gone on the same. And he says, but do not forget, verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, God is not affected by time mm. the way we are. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. That is, the reason Jesus has not yet come back is that God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. But the day of the Lord that began... In, um, when Jesus died and rose, in verse 10, it will come, it will finish when Jesus comes back. All the, the only reason God is waiting is to give us time to repent, to give us time to turn back, to give us time to tell everyone about Jesus um, so that people can be saved. So it's like the idea in 2 Corinthians 6 as well where Paul says, now is the day of salvation. Yeah. That's the time we're living in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In other words... While the building is hanging there, the reason it's hanging there is to get people out of the building. Yeah. To get people to salvation, to, to tell everyone about it. Our church's big prayer for, for years, for more than a decade, has been, God, please give Jesus 30,000 people in Newcastle and Lake Mac um, just for a start. Yeah. If you know that Jesus has risen and if you know the world's ending, the obvious, the most obvious thing is people have to get out of the building. Yeah. Um, that's the only reason Jesus hasn't come back yet. Yeah. yeah. Now, a couple of questions coming in from YouTube. Alex asks, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to disciples in his recognisable human body. Mm. Does that mean as Christians, our bodies will be resurrected in that same physical state? Great question. Um, we, we haven't got time to dig into all of 1 Corinthians 15. Someone else, uh, sorry, someone else added, will I have my fit 20-year-old body or the decrepit, rickety old arthritic body. <laughs> Will you need glasses, Greg? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it depends. Do I look better with them or without? Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, we will have a physical body, but it's a physical body that's designed for the new creation, not this one. Um, so it'll be changed. It'll yeah. be different. Um, but I think the new creation will be recognisable. Uh, often people, when they think of heaven, they imagine it as... Um, pillars and clouds and fluff. I think the new creation is actually going to look a lot like this one because when God made this creation, he said it was really good. Yeah. Um, what's wrong with this creation is sin, not trees and mountains and streams. Yeah. Um, and I think the new creation will look recognisably like this one. Um, and I think we will look recognisably like this one. But what we'll be missing is sin, sickness, death, all of those things. Um, but I will be recognisably me in a new creation form. Yeah. And Paul doesn't explain heaps about that in 1 Corinthians 15, but he really wants to say it's physical and he really wants to say that death is not part of it and he really wants to say is it's a body designed for that next creation. 
Yeah. Yeah. So 1 Corinthians 15 is really helpful. Um, another question we've got in Matthew 27, mm. 52 to 53. Great. I knew this was going to come up. I knew this was going to come up. That's good. I wanted to talk about it, but didn't think we'd have time. Um, the bodies of many yeah. holy people who had died were raised to life after Jesus' resurrection too. Yeah. Did they have the same resurrection as Jesus or is there a difference in this? No, I think it even says that they went back into their tombs, doesn't it? They went around for three days. Do you want to read? I'll read the f yeah. 52 and 53. Um, so from 51 at the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Yeah, it doesn't say that they went back to their tombs. And that's it. Um, that has got to be one of the most enigmatic parts of the Gospels, isn't it? <laughs> and it's the sort of thing that when people discover it, they're like, I did not know that was there. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that been hiding all this time? Because it's only in Matthew's account, isn't it? Yes. This, yeah, yeah. And you think, why is it there? And it's because the day of the Lord has come. And the day of the Lord was the day of the resurrection. Um, now, we're not told much about these people. Um, we're not told about, you know, did they continue to go on living yeah. or anything like that. Um, and I think the, the reason for that is the purpose, the reason Matthew has included them in his gospel account is so that we would go, oh, people being raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is the start of the resurrection, mm. um, which is what Jesus says in John, isn't it? So... Um, after Lazarus dies. Which is similar in the, the sense that he resurrects Lazarus. Mm. We don't know if Lazarus, nothing else is said about. Yeah. Well, I think he resuscitates Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a difference between Jesus' resurrection and Lazarus's, that Lazarus most likely went on to die. Yeah. And when Jesus raises the little Jairus's daughter, for instance, yep. we expect that she went on and lived a happy life and, and died. They were resuscitations but they were echoes of what Jesus would do when he rose and his resurrection is eternal. Yep. Um, but, and so whether these people who rise from the dead in Matthew were resuscitations or resurrections, the reason they're there um, is so that we'll go, my goodness, what an amazing thing. Just like the people do in Acts 2. Yep. My goodness, what an amazing thing. What is this about? It's the sign that the resurrection has begun. The resurrection has begun with Jesus' resurrection. The, the world is ending. The day of the Lord is near. That means judgment is about to happen. The Spirit's about to be poured out. All of those things that were caught up in the day of the Lord are all about to happen. It means that we are in the building hanging in midair, yep. waiting for everything to crash. When Jesus returns. When Jesus yep. returns. It's a huge idea, isn't it? It's, it's massive. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Um, so coming then back into the significance of the resurrection, what, is it, what does the resurrection say about Jesus and who he is? Yeah, it's, what it says about Jesus is he is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the one who will never die. So Acts chapter 2, as we come back to it, mm. Peter continues. So he says, this speaking in tongues, part of the day of the Lord, that's why they're, uh, they're prophesying miracle signs and wonders. Um, Jesus died, but God's raised him. Verse 25, David said about him, David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
you have made known to me the paths of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. And then Peter says, brothers, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb's here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised in on oath that one day he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Peter says that Psalm 16 that was so enigmatic, it wasn't about David. It was about Jesus and that God raised Jesus so that Jesus is the one who won't be abandoned to the grave. Jesus is the one whose body won't see decay. Mm. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses to the fact, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, God has raised Jesus, exalted him to the throne in heaven and Jesus is the one who's just poured out the Spirit. Jesus is the one in charge. He's the one reigning. The Lord. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you end up with this fantastic thing in verse 36. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. <laughs> he kind of sticks that's the knife a, in there. That's a, yeah. just it's a little backhand there. Just let me remind you, you crucified this guy. He's Which is rich him. coming from Peter as well. because As a Jew who also <laughs> denied Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The conclusion you come to about Jesus is he is the king who will reign forever. He's the David that God promised would rule eternally in 2 Samuel 7. Um, he's the Davidic king. And so what does it tell us about the world? The world has ended. Mm. What does it tell us about Jesus? Jesus is the ender of the world. He's the judge, the ruler. The um, one reigning. Yeah. Eternally. Yeah. Yep. And so it's a massive conclusion that he comes to. So then what is the, what's the significance of the resurrection then? I mean, obviously it's starting to have a few. We've talked about this a fair bit, but what's uh, the significance of the resurrection for us? Yeah. I love it because Peter nails it. In fact, they, they ask. You know when you, you kind of see people ask questions from the crowd and you think that has to have been fed in there. That, that person has to be a plant. It's such a yep. good question. Yeah. In verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do <laughs> if the world's ended and we killed the guy who is the Lord and the King and the judge? Yeah. What What's do we mean? do? Yep. And he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Another word, repenting is turning around, it's stopping rebellion. Yep. And he says, repent, come back to the King so that your sins can be forgiven. And that's what baptism is all about. It's that sign that you are forgiven. Um, and so what does it mean for us? It means that the, our world has ended and Jesus is the King. And unless we want to perish, unless we want to be, go down with the building, if you like, mm. we need to come back to Jesus for forgiveness. Um, we need to trust that he died for us. Um, and trust that he's our king. That's the most significant um, outcome of the resurrection for us. Mm. Um, repent, turn back to Jesus before he comes back. Which goes back to what you're saying, that overarching theme of the Bible mm. that starts with God giving us life yeah. and then us rejecting God uh, and we, we get death. Mm. Uh, and then Jesus coming, raising back to eternal life 
and saying, if you want life forever, come then you me. need to come back to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus is the answer to the problem of Genesis 3, this, this death that, that uh, is the, the, the thorny problem of the whole Bible. Jesus is the answer because he rises from the dead and mm. promises us the answer. Come to me. Yeah. Uh, so it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Um, Jesus gives us life. Yeah. So what about other implications for us? Um, for if we do turn to Jesus yeah, yeah. and we put our trust in him for Christians then, yeah. what does the resurrection mean for Christians? One of the big things that it means is um, we know that we are saved. Um, so that, that passage, uh, we could do it in a couple of places, but we started with 1 Corinthians 15, mm. um, where Paul was talking about the resurrection and he said in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Um, why is it that if Jesus hasn't been raised, we're still in our sins? Or is it, putting it the other way, why is it that Jesus being raised means that our, we're not in our sins? And what Jesus' resurrection is, is God's great affirmation that Jesus' death did pay for sins. Mm. So one, a, a great illustration that I heard about it was once, um, imagine I, um, I get sick of being in lockdown yep. and I, um, I, I decide to go into the centre of Newcastle in my hotted up car, my little Mazda 323, yeah. <laughs> and I sit there amongst a bunch of people eating a kebab, you know, um, and the judge says, right, this is it, I'm going to make a, an example of you. And he says, 10 years in jail. Imagine if you went to jail for me and said, I'm going to take that penalty. When would I know that it is finished? When would I know that my penalty has been fully paid? It's when I see you out of jail. Yeah. And that's what the resurrection is. Um, the resurrection is God's great statement that Jesus' death was sufficient. And so right at the end of, um, of Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Jesus was put to death because of our sins and raised to life because of our justification. Which we normally associate just with the cross. Yeah. 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 Why was Jesus raised to life? Because the penalty had been paid. And what does it say to us when we see him raised to life? My penalty is paid. So Jesus' resurrection means assurance. I'm certain that I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Why? Because I know that Jesus rose. So that's another... Um, along with the first implication that I need to come to Jesus to get life, um, the second big implication is I can be certain that Jesus' sacrifice worked yeah. um, and was sufficient. Um, another of the big ones um, is that um, I can be certain uh, that I have new life as well. Um, the Bible kind of talks about this idea that we have in some way already been raised. Um, so Colossians chapter 2 is kind of a helpful place. Yep. 2 verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, and he means spiritually dead, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations against us, uh, regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, 
and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Um, he says there, past tense, God has made us alive. Mm. And he also says, past tense, we used to be dead in our sins. Um, and at this point, he is talking about something that's spiritual. Um, when we become Christians, God gives us the Holy Spirit and we become spiritually born again. And Jesus talks about that in John, doesn't he, in John chapter yeah. 3. Um, and our future, it's almost like we have a taste of our future resurrection now, spiritually. Um, and he says there, um, we're alive with Christ, which means that we're forgiven um, and we're actually new people. Um, it means that whereas sin used to be something that ruled us, sin no longer rules us. Jesus rules us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so Christians really are different people. Mm. We're not perfect yet because we don't have our new bodies, but we are born again and we do have the Spirit. And God is in the process of transforming us. And where, do I, um, where, where does that hope come from? Well, I get that hope because Jesus has already risen physically and now he has raised me spiritually and in the future he'll raise me physically as well. So that's where um, Paul talks about in Colossians 3 as well, we're raised with Christ in verse 1. So there's a spiritual resurrection that goes on. So Jesus' death for us, there's a repentance that the day of the Lord's here, we've got to turn back to him. Mm. There's um, an affirmation that we can have the hope that sin and death have been defeated. Yep. Um, but then there's also this transformation, this born again nature yeah. thing that happens within us. Yeah, we get a taste of the future physical spiritually now. Yeah. Um, where we're born again, we're different people. Uh, in Romans 6, Paul talks about the, we've put off the old self and we're put in, we've got a new self. Um, it's not just that I've started to believe something different. It's not just that my Sunday mornings look different. Um, it's not just that I dress differently if I'm a Christian. Yeah. I am different. Yeah. I am born again. Um, and that's the work of the Spirit because of Jesus' resurrection. Hmm. And then God will transform me through the rest of my life. And that's all His work. It's grace alone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it means that we have... We have this great sense that my past doesn't necessarily have to dominate my future. Um, so I think everyone has, whether you grew up as a Christian or not, we all have things in our past that we really deeply regret. Um, and for lots of us, we have been someone in our past that we're really ashamed of. Hmm. And we kind of assume that there's a life sentence there that I can never change. A leopard can't change its spots. Um, but what Jesus' resurrection promises is one day I'll be transformed completely, but God has already begun that now. I am a different person by grace. Mm. Um, my past doesn't have to define my future. Jesus does. So to be devil's advocate yeah. in that, so we'll get into some application. I'm keen to take some questions from YouTube as well. But if we're, how, do you, how do you wrestle with this tension then in terms of, we're still sinful, mm. but we're born again. Um, I just, I can imagine people thinking, uh, feeling defeated by sin. Yeah. That I, I hear you saying that sin's been defeated. I'm a new person. Yeah, yeah. 
but I still have this wrestle with sin. Yeah. Um, Paul talks about that wrestle in Romans chapter 7, um, where he says, um, I know the person I want to be, yeah. and I hate sin, but I find myself doing things that I don't want to do. Um, and he ends that chapter with, Who will, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Um, just as the day of the Lord began with um, Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection, but doesn't end with, and it doesn't end until he returns, I am already born again, but that process won't be complete until Jesus returns. It's this idea that's often called now but not yet. Yeah. The day of the Lord is now but not yet, not until he returns. Um, I am born again now, different now, transformed now, renewed now. They're all words that the Bible uses. Um, but not yet. I'm still in this body of death. And what it means is that Christian, you do see Christians really grow and change over the course of their life. You do see them go through miraculous transformations where people will say, you are not the person I knew. Mm. Um, often when, when people become... Christians as teenagers, their parents will say to us, what have you done to my child? Because <laughs> I used to be such a pain in the neck. <laughs> and now they're lovely. They're just a different yeah. person. Um, and so we do see these radical transformations, but it is a now but not yet. Yeah. The transformation is not complete until the end. Often it actually takes someone else to see the work of God in us. Because yeah. um, often all I can see is that I've been struggling with this sin for 25 years. Yep. But then someone else says, well, Greg, I knew you 25 years ago and you're a jerk and you're less of a jerk now. <laughs> That's the work of God. <laughs> but you don't always see that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, now, I've got some questions from YouTube and Kate, we've got eight minutes to pump through this, Greg, because yeah. we want to do some application as well um, that we've been doing. Asha asks, will people who don't trust in Jesus be raised as well? Yes. Um, so Daniel 12 is very helpful. Um, everyone will be raised. Um, the only people who won't be raised are the ones who are still alive. Yep. Um, uh, everyone will be raised. Because they'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What yep. happens next is either heaven or hell. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Beck asks, uh, why did Jesus wait three days to be resurrected? Yeah. Where was he in that time? What was he doing? Yes. Um, he, was, he was in the tomb. Yeah. Uh, he was dead. He was also... Um, with his father in heaven. We haven't got heaps of time to dig into this. Um, and that's where uh, the way John pictures Jesus' death is he was going to his father. Yep. Um, he keeps talking about, I'm going to my father all the way through John. And it's really worth looking at. Um, and when Jesus says at that moment on the cross, it is finished, he had paid for sins. Um, and where did he go next? I think he was with his father. So it's worth looking through the last three or four chapters of John. Um, why was he raised on the third day? Um, Jonah, belly of the fish for three days, and then raised. I think it's, is it Hosea 6 verse 8? I'll see it, Hosea 6 verse 4. I should so have prophecies are, are talking yeah. about this. God talks uh, in one of the minor prophets, and someone is bound to send it in to us on YouTube. Um, <laughs> God you'll get a prize if day. you get it. <laughs> That's right. You can have Scott's car. Um, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, uh, on the first day, I wound you. On the, on the third day, I'll raise you. Yeah. Um, I think it's around Hosea 6 verse 4. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
Dion asks, from the perspective of the resurrection, what would you say to a person that does not want eternal life and wants to live life to the full now? Um, the, the old YOLO, you only live once, yeah. that kind of thing. What would you say to that person? What Jesus says is, what, where is the prophet in that? So Jesus says, what prophet is in there in gaining the whole world but losing your soul? Yeah. Uh, in other words, Jesus says there is no profit in that. And so what I would say is trust Jesus on this. Um, mm. I get that this world's really tantalising. Um, There's really, lots of good things in yeah, this world. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of, look, I can just go my own way. I can have an awesome time. I will trust that that's enough. I would say trust the one person who created you and who has been on the other side of death. Mm. Jesus says it profits you nothing to gain even the whole world and, let you, and yet lose your soul. Um, another way of looking at it is if this world looks so awesome imagine what the next one is yeah <laughs> if this world isn't even worth comparing to it and I wonder I, like in the climate we're in at the moment we've, we've talked about this a little bit um, whether people's living in this for this life has been shaken up yeah. in light of the coronavirus mm. um, I've got uh, this mad haircut from my barber at Mount Hutton. <laughs> yeah, me and, too. Um, <laughs> it's been a long, long time since you've been to the barber, Greg. Yeah. But he, he like, um, just off the bat, when I, when I said I was a pastor, just said, well, where do you think God is in COVID? Like, genuine question. Mm. And he was genuinely searching, got to share the gospel, got to invite him to HBC Online. I don't know if you watched it or not. But, yeah, I wonder if that's shaken that living for this life has been shaken up for a number of people at the moment. Yeah, for Christians too. Yeah, um, yeah. That is, it's very easy to turn all of your Christian hopes into this world as well, you know, be a good parent, raise your children, have great friends at church. Yeah. Um, and as some of those things have been taken away, I heard a great phrase, um, when the tide goes out, you can tell who's been swimming naked. Yeah. And you can see our culture has been swimming naked. Yeah. Um, We've built all of our hopes in possessions and careers and all of those things. And now they're all kind of being taken away from us a bit. Mm. And what have I got to live for? Um, the great message of Jesus is the next world is real. Mm. And he rose from the dead to show it. Um, which means no matter how bad this world becomes, you can't take away from me the one thing that is actually my, my greatest hope. And that's the next life. Mm. Yeah. Um. The world has ended then, going back to that idea yeah. that you, you threw at us, the kind of that building, the picture of the building that we're in at the moment. Um, it's exploded, it's frozen, we're waiting for Jesus to return. How does that change the way we live then, thinking about that? Um, one more page. We've done a lot in 1 Corinthians 7. I think 1 Corinthians 7 is just incredibly helpful to us because um, it's a perspective changer. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking about um, whether or not you should get married or stay married. What do you do about it? Mm. Um, he kind of shows his perspective in verse um, 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn, as if they didn't. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it weren't theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world 
in its present form is passing away. What he really says there is, nothing of this world really matters anymore. Hmm. Uh, if you're married, if you've got a wife, live as if you didn't. Uh, if you're mourning, live as if you weren't. Uh, if you've got the things of this world, you're not engrossed in them because time is short, the world is passing away. And where Paul takes it in regard to marriage is he says, if you can, stay single. Hmm. Um, because then you'll actually have more time to serve Jesus wholeheartedly, single-mindedly. Um, that's a, that's a principle that we can apply to just about anything. And Paul does apply it. He, he applies it to marriage. He applies it to mourning. He applies mm. it to possessions. Um, the way, if you understand that the world is ending, you do everything you can to get people out of the building. Mm. You do everything you can to serve Jesus now. And it's not that Christians don't care about the things of this world. We're just not engrossed in them. Mm. Everyone's got to have a house. But whether you own it, uh, or rent it, whether it's big or little and what suburb it is, completely irrelevant. In fact, the only real criteria for judging it is, does it help me to live for Jesus and does it help me to preach Jesus? Hmm. Um, same in terms of jobs. Um, Christians don't need a job that satisfies them. What we need is a job that actually enables me to preach the kingdom and that allows, enables me to have enough time to, to do the Jesus things that I really want to do. Um, Christians live incredibly urgent lives. And this is where the building illustration really works. Um, this is where one of the things that I'm just occasionally known for being a bit critical of is, <laughs> is travel. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with travel. I certainly don't think there's something wrong with taking a holiday. But Which idea, not many people are doing right now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is the perfect time for me to have a go at this, isn't it? But everyone wants to travel after this. Um, <laughs> The idea that I would take three or six months out of my life and out of relationships and just go and see the world because the world is a beautiful place to see. The world is a beautiful place to see, but what that is is kind of like going, well, I know the building's collapsing, but what I might do is just go to a couple of the different floors and look out the window and just see what it's like. Hmm. If the building was still standing, perfect. Um, travel is a fantastic thing. We're just 2,000 years too late to do it. What we should be doing is saying, how do I get the most number of people out of the building that I can? How do I devote my life to Jesus and his kingdom as much as possible? And I'll have other things in my life like jobs and cars and those sorts of things, but I'll recognise that I can't be engrossed in them and they're powerfully distracting. Um, mm. That's the way the, the resurrection really challenges us. It means that we are all missionaries. And there's this urgency then yeah, to, to call people to repentance, to yeah. repent ourselves, to share the gospel, the good news. Yeah. yeah. So what's the thing that frustrates Christians most about COVID? I mean, it's tragic that people are sick. It's tragic that people are dying. Mm. The thing that frustrates us is that we don't get a chance to talk to them. Yeah. Um, that instead of being able to talk face to face, we're doing it online and those sorts of things. For us, the lens that all of life is viewed through is... How do we tell people about Jesus? Because the world has ended. Hmm. Um, time is short. Well, Greg, thank you. Time's out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the resurrection's huge, though, isn't it? it um, Jesus is our Lord. Yeah. Um, eternal life, our only hope. Uh, the world, we're at the end of the world. Uh, and so we want to respond to that. 
Um, can you lead us in prayer to finish? And then I'll um, have a couple of things to, to finish off. Fantastic. I'll pray. <laughs> Our great God, we praise you that Jesus is not still in a tomb. We praise you that his bones are not lying somewhere in Palestine, but that he is risen. And we praise you that that means that he is the king of all the universe, the one who rules and reigns and the one who will judge. We praise you that the end of the world has come and that you offer salvation, that now is the day of salvation. We thank you that Jesus' resurrection means that we can be certain of forgiveness if we come to him because our sins are truly paid for. And we thank you that it means we can be transformed. This is such great news. We thank you that all of this is achieved by Jesus rising from the dead. We pray that we would live in the light of it. We pray that knowing time is short, we would not be engrossed by the things of this world, but that we would be focused on getting people out of the building. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Um, three things we're going to put in the comments. If you've got more questions, we'd love for you to join us uh, Sunday, 10 o'clock, 4.30, 7 o'clock. We'll put the link in uh, so you can join us for church. Uh, as I said earlier, though, next Thursday, we're going to run uh, the, this thing called the Life Series where you get to, through Zoom, be a part of it, hear, hear a presentation about what we really believe in, what's at the heart of Christianity. And you can ask questions or just listen, but engage about what's at the heart of Christianity. Uh, and the third thing we're going to put in the comments is six and a half hours worth of former MYC talks that Greg's done um, from our mid-year conference at UniChurch, five talks that are like six and a half hours total length. So if you want to dig deeper into the resurrection, um, download them. They're fantastic talks. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon.